to Play Hype Dialogue, the podcast where we play shows, get hype, and dialogue. We're your co-hosts, Carmela, Carlos, and Omar. This is our first episode, and we're going to start off with some quick introductions. So, first up, we're going to go in alphabetical order because it seems to be a little bit better for all of us. Uh, Carmela, nope, Carlos. <laughs> By our degrees um, combined, we can do alphabetical order. <laughs> Well, alphabetical order seems to be like the best part, the best way to do it, because usually it's like, who wants to go first? And nobody volunteers. So, Carlos, who are you? (laughs) Who am I? Who am I? Uh, I don't know. It depends on the day of the week. I'm a queer Puerto Rican living in the Bronx. I love comic books, um, especially the indie stuff. But if I am reading mainstream comics i tend towards marvel over dc um love fantasy charmed um the new charmed um i love magic anything with sort of magic mystical creatures um huge fan of the musical wicked um also a fan of musicals um i'm an adjunct lecturer at a community college here in the bronx um I am also a PhD candidate in sociology, which is the discipline that I teach in. Um, And I'm figuring out what I'm going to do with my life after graduation. So we'll see how it goes. (laughs) Mela, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself? Thanks, Carlos. My name is Carmela. I also go by Mela. I am a sociologist and professional dancer living in the Bronx and recording live from my living room. Uh, I'm Italian-American. My main research areas are the politics of everyday culture, media, urban studies, race and ethnicity, and social movements. I recently completed my PhD in sociology, and I'm now assistant professor of sociology at Mercy College in the Bronx and Westchester. Um, I was a big Harry Potter uh, and fantasy fan growing up. I also begrudgingly became an MCU fan in recent years, and I'm so excited to be launching this podcast with you guys. So what up? Uh, Omar, why don't you tell us about yourself? All right. Uh, My name is Omar, born and raised in New Jersey. I have a PhD in anthropology. Um, Also been doing some work as a cultural consultant. I'm I'm one of those diehard New Jersey fanatics. I'm a big fan of my home state and uh, very happy to be uh, quarantining and recording from Jersey. And want to tell us in a few lines what your dissertation was about? I do not. <laughs> What's your area of expertise? My, oh, that's a good one. So I am, my focus, like in terms of like subject wise, is race and racial identity and racial performance. Um, I talk about race all day, every day. It's my favorite topic, academically speaking. <laughs> Um, And my areas are usually the uh, Hispanophone Caribbean or North Africa, which also speaks to my own personal ethnicity. I'm also the artist for Playhype Dialogue. Um, I I celebrated my PhD by getting myself an iPad and starting uh, digital art. And I've been really enjoying that. And so I'm pretty excited about uh, sharing some of my work on the Instagram page. One of the things growing up that I was really crazy about were mythologies. I love reading about different mythologies. My two favorite, Greek and Egyptian. Um, And I'm actually trying to do a lot of research to learn more about Taino mythology, because I think that um, I would like to have some more information about that. That's fascinating. 
I think a lot of people our age, when we were kids, were big into mythology. I know I wasn't the only one, and clearly <laughs> you were there too. Like, yeah. big into like just learning about these mythos, these ancient gods. It's it was awesome. in like the middle school curriculum. I maybe it still is, but I know that we learned a, a lot about that in those years, and I feel like it was pretty interesting for. Maybe that's why we're doing what we're doing. Like our first, you know, season being focused on mythos and magic. I think that's kind of a nice way. Cause you know, like they're saying like millennials are struggling to, did I say that weird millennials? <laughs> I'll try again. No, cause um, you know, cause they were saying like, male- why can't I say that word? You want to say Maleficent, just say Maleficent. Say, I, I, you know, all these Maleficents born in 1980s. No, um, they're saying like millennials are, are almost. Are we more interested in fantasy than yes, other generations? Okay. They're saying like because of how life has been for, for millennials, that a lot of them are kind of going back to the things that they enjoyed in their childhood. And maybe that's why we're here talking about like movies and TV shows and magic. And maybe this is how Play Hype Dialogue was born. I think it is. So we are three millennials. We met uh, in our PhD program and we came together to start this podcast. We, uh, at the outbreak of the COVID-19 pandemic, we started watching, doing some Netflix parties together, watching some shows together, um, partly to kind of deal with all of the, the difficulties going on in the world right now, and then decided to come together and, and talk about it and have a podcast and hopefully bring a little bit of joy for everybody to enjoy along with us. I actually think, Carmela, you might be the technical mother of this podcast because um, when we were in the next, <laughs> when we were in the Netflix Play chat, you know, because the Netflix Play has this chat feature. So we're all chatting and, you know, just talking smack and making jokes. And Carmela goes, this could be a podcast. And I didn't take it seriously. And I was like, sure. And then Carmela, Carlos took it quite seriously. And then uh, in our group chat, all of a sudden it's like, hey, so are we doing this? And then we did it. <laughs> I was expecting, expecting you guys to be like, LOL, like that's, that's funny. And you were both like, yeah, <laughs> we, sh- we should. Yeah, no, we took it and ran and here we are. We're about so to So I hope launch. you enjoy. <laughs> we're excited to share season one with you. Um, on this season, we will tackle several shows dealing with magic and fantasy and mysticism. And we hope you're in, Enjoying the ride with us. Okay, so normally during this this beginning segment, we'll be talking pop culture news and topics, and then we're going to move in our second half of the podcast into uh, kind of a deep deeper discussion of an episode of a TV show. If you listen to our trailer, we're starting this first episode. This first uh, the first show that we're covering is going to be Cursed on Netflix. So we will start talking right now about Cursed, episode one, season one. If you haven't seen it, pause here, go check it out, and come back and see if we have the same take. Cursed is a new take on the legend of King Arthur from the perspective of Nimue, who's the lady of the lake in the original legend. The series is based on a graphic novel uh, by the same name. The writer is Thomas Wheeler, and the illustrator is Frank Miller, who are both writers on the show and executive produce. But the basic premise of the show is that there's a sword of power uh, and whosoever wields the sword of power shall be the one true king. But what if the sword chose a queen? 
So let's start with first impressions. Um, Carlos, why don't you get us started? What were your first thoughts about the show? So I didn't realize that it was a uh, show based on a book at first, um, which doesn't have anything to do with my first take. I thought it was very beautiful. Um, The first episode, you really get into the wood. You get to see these beautiful uh, flowers, and it seems very sort of light and magical, the way it's sort of gives you like Disney princess vibes. And then it immediately slam cuts to things are going to get crazy. Yes. And I was laughing because like, I thought, because when we were watching this in the Netflix party, I was like, dude, I think Nimue's going to be the lady of the lake. And then I was like, yeah, she is like, this is a, this is a, <laughs> this is known. I was like, I thought I was brilliant. Like I didn't realize that it was like, expect, like you knew that that was going to, was that a spoiler alert? Should we, <laughs> but um, I actually really like it. I like the, the, I thought it was going to be a retelling of instead of King Arthur, it was Queen someone else. Like I didn't realize. And then we see Arthur in the first episode. I was just like, oh, okay. So it's just like a retelling from like a different perspective, which I think is pretty cool also. Yeah, it was really interesting. And Carlos, what you said about the tone of the show in this first episode, it starts off in visually, it's kind of like there's twinkling lights, we're in the woods, it's like, oh, like, it seems a little young adultish. And then it's just sort of like, instantly pretty, pretty uh, explicit scenes, let's say, in in the first episode or two. Um, So it's definitely the tone is a little darker than I was expecting based on the first few minutes of the show. And I was like, Ooh, magic. (laughs) And then it's like, (laughs) this is real. This is a, you know, they're going to deal with some pretty, pretty adult themes. Um, So in that first episode we meet, we kind of, it's a, I think it's a really functional first episode for a show in that we kind of go from scene to scene meeting our major characters and the major players in the series, which I enjoyed um, because I feel like they, they take their time to set the show up. Um, so it doesn't feel like they're rushing against the clock and think they're going to be canceled tomorrow and just trying to squeeze things in. Like they take their time to get to know the characters. I can actually remember most of the characters' names um, because they got their time. They got their scenes, which I appreciate. Um, so we meet the Fae and Nimue, our main character, is, is part of the Fae and we meet her community. We meet the Red Paladins, who are a religious fundamental group who are trying to wipe out the Fae. And this sets up uh, one of the major themes, at least so far in the first episode or two, which is religion versus magic, um, which we see pretty regularly. Do you have any thoughts on this, this, this setup for that theme? Um, the kind of major conflict I think we're going to see throughout this, this show. Yeah, um, it really is not subtle at all in setting it up. Um, you have... Um, and even the religion versus magic, there's subtleties on both sides. It's not a sort of very clear binary. But as you are getting into it in that first episode, when we first meet the Red Paladins, it's like, oh, this must be some other group. And it seems really nice the way it's set up. He's telling a child a story. And it's we like, thought, oh, I thought it was Santa Claus. Brutal. <laughs> and then it was like, I was like no, psych (laughs) um which just like really you are afraid of the red paladins because the first time you meet them they're set up as the bad guys 
because they're burning a village to the ground and they're killing a child. And then you see that, no, this isn't the only child. And then it leads into like, no, this is a whole religious movement that the king is just like, go, do you. Like, he's not doing anything to stop this madness. What a setup scene too. They've, they've got uh, my guy who was in Westworld um, playing the, the, the lead Red Paladin. Uh, and he's talking to a young kid and he's giving this speech about like, uh, you know, our God and our purpose and he smiles on us, uh, but we got to tend his garden and rip out the, you know, the problems in it. And some of them are very young. <laughs> and he's like, oh, like he puts a leaf on the kid's uh, hand and we see the, the young boy's skin t- starts to turn green, which we're meant to understand is an indication that he's not human, he's fake. It's interesting how they play with our emotions, the show. Like, it's like light and airy and mushrooms and Disney, and then it's just like killing everybody. So yes. it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a roller coaster watching the show. Yeah, I really, I'm really enjoying it so far. Um, let's talk Arthur. So one of the fun kind of early reveals is Nimue and her friend Pim, who's dope, <laughs> go to the <laughs> We love Pim. Uh, go into town and they meet a, a guy singing not well, <laughs> not, not super well. I don't know. I'm still not sure if that was on purpose because they do make a joke about it. But he's singing a song and it's like, what is the tune of this song? Uh, and we meet Arthur. Arthur's uh, black. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, black Arthur in the building. Which um, I didn't expect. Not gonna lie. Uh, I wasn't sure how this was going to fit into the Arthurian legend, like how many years, like I expected Arthur to be like a baby or not born yet. And it's like, no, Arthur's a full grown man. And this time he's black, which is something that we don't often see in sort of medieval or sort of Arthurian sort of ancient European stories. I wonder, have we ever seen Arthur in the media as a man of color? I don't know, because I'm not sure that I've seen all of the takes on Arthur um, through the years, but I feel like not, you know, not so much. Not in, I don't think any mainstream kind of TV or film portrayal of Arthur up till now, I could, we could be wrong, uh, has Arthur as a man of color. Um, but this, you know, this is definitely, and the show's popular. Um, it was trending really like as number one or number two on Netflix for a while. So this is definitely going to be one of the more mainstream representations. And so much of the time we see fantasy series or, or you know, um, uh, Carla, she said kind of like mid- anything that's got like a medieval backdrop, with ha- which has some magic, just absent of people of color. Um, and people will, will, will be really committed to like, oh, we need the, the, uh, racial historical accuracy of the medieval times in Europe. It's just like, this is a show about magic. Um, And there are black people around and people of color. Um, So I thought it's, it's a refreshing take on Arthur and I enjoyed seeing it. Another little fun fact about me, Arthur was one of my favorite legends uh, growing up as a kid. I used to watch like all the, the, ask me to remember all of like the Knights of the Round Table. I don't, but like anytime there was like a reimagining or like a, I was crazy obsessed with this. So this is interesting because it's, in a sense, it's not even a legend 
it's not even the legend about Arthur because he's not, they, they've sort of decentered him and, and it's, this is really a story about Nimue, which I think is really cool because it's seeing it from another perspective. So I think it's also pretty important. Um, the thing is, how do we feel about Nimue? Cause I'm kind of on the fence with her. Yeah, first of all, I didn't know that you were a big, big Arthur fan. <laughs> um, that's good to know. I feel like you're going to be our go-to person for this story. Yeah. Like I read it, but yeah, yeah, easy, 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 be cool. <laughs> um, I read it, and I've, I'm, you know, I've seen some of it, but it wasn't. I don't have a memory of it being being really into it. Um, but to answer your question, Nimue still on the fence. Um, so the the purpose, part of the purpose of this this retelling is to subvert some of the major tropes of Arthur. So obviously, including, you know, changing, uh, you know, the race of some of the major characters, but also kind of foregrounding Nimue as a a woman protagonist in the story and telling the story from her perspective. Um, So I'm interested in that and I'm enjoying it as a setup. Uh, So far, I think, I'm not sure how to feel about her. She does seem... I like her. I'm gonna. I'm gonna say I like her. She. She does seem like she might be a little bit frustrating as a protagonist because of some of the decisions she already seems like. I'm like, why are you doing this? Right. But um, I was like, let Prim get off the horse. You don't need to bring her into battle. She's telling you. She's like, let me off. Like I don't know why she did that. And then she's like, Prim is gone. I'm like, well, yeah, you drag her into battle. Just knock her off the horse and go. Yeah, justice for Prim. Sorry, Prim was my favorite, so I think I'm, I'm in my feelings about it. <laughs> Pim was also my favorite uh, character in the first episode or two. Yeah, no, she definitely brings a necessary comic relief without being made the clown. Um, but I, it's really nice to see this sort of retelling where instead of the woman being sort of the damsel or sort of the helpful sidekick who's there for a minute and then gone in a flash, we get to see her as the lead. Um, I've only seen the first two episodes, so I'm not sure how she develops further in the story. I haven't read the book, so I don't know um, how her character is there. I don't dislike Nimue. Um, There are some questionable choices. Like, we know that there's people trying to attack the Fae. We know that they are not very popular. She herself is not very popular amongst her people. And she's showing out. Like, dude clearly said, they're loaded dice. Don't play the game. And then what does she do? She plays the game from this, like, big, tough, like, this sort of stereotypical tavern brawler, like, (laughs) bad guy, guy on the black horse, black hat dude. Like, he's like, oh, if I win... Or if you win, you get the 10 pieces of silver. But now I'm up in the ante. I want some more of you than just a kiss. It's like, no, Nimue, what are you doing? And Pim's like, we should go. Arthur's like, we should go. And she's like, let's keep going. So what uh, we're talking about this like tavern scene right after they meet Arthur. They go to have a drink. Uh, and Arthur's like, one of the henchmen he's traveling with wants to play a dice game with her. Pim and Arthur are like, let's not. <laughs> And Nimue's like, let's do it. <laughs> um, but here's what I enjoyed about that scene. I, I did enjoy one of my favorite moments comes at the end of that scene. After she messes with the, the, the dice a few times, 
uh, in a world where people know magic exists. So it's and like, the dice are loaded. And the, you know no. the dice are loaded, so he's going to know it's magic. But after she does it, the guy's like, you're witching me. And she's like, why? Are you afraid of witches? Mic drop. <laughs> and I... Look, is it a little corny? Maybe. Did I love it? I did. <laughs> I did. Because I like I like seeing like, you know, her being like almost unabashedly like, yeah, I got magic, what's up? But that's also where it gets frustrating for me because yep. her use of powers. All right. Have you guys ever seen um Umbrella Academy? Yes. Not the second. Okay, you know with like I Allison? Oh, okay. Well we'll call it you know like with Allison, you're like watching it and you're like Use you're like I heard a fucking rumor. Let's go. Like use your. That's the thing that I get kind of frustrated with Nimue, and I understand she's still kind of coming into her powers. There's this lack of control. I just find it odd that like she has moments where she's under great stress and she has a power. Then there's moments where she's like, I'm going to play a dice game where I might have to kiss this random guy, and then she also has the power. But then like in, am I getting ahead of myself? No, this is no, no, no. Yeah. And then at the end of the first episode, when she sees this disaster going on, it's just like, let me run in circles and like not like I don't just like you do something like give, like give us something like you have this this power. You're in a very stressful situation. I don't understand why it's not coming up. And maybe maybe we'll learn about that a little bit later. But I remember just I think I was just also very bitter because I'm like you left Prim a uh, Pim. I'm sorry to get like kidnapped and you're just literally running in circles and, it, and it's just like homegirl do something like people are getting crucified over here like literally crucified right yeah so the inconsistency with nimway's power is a little um not my it's not my favorite uh part of the show let's say for in these first few episodes it's kind of unclear what like how does it take a ton of effort and so she can't always do it because it seems like she can just pull out her power in this in this dice game when needed but then that scene so we're talking about the scene where where pim and nimway come back to their their town and it's being burned by the red paladins um pim's like no don't (laughs) and nimway runs with the horse that they're both on right into the town pim immediately gets taken away that's why I keep saying justice for Pim. <laughs> um, yeah. But Pim gets taken. And then the scene is long. Like, it's a long shot of Nimue being overwhelmed by the environment. And we're, you're kind of waiting for her to do something. And she she basically doesn't. Um, so Basically. <laughs> she doesn't. And it's a little bit like, do, well, I'm waiting for her to, like, bring it out. What I will say is I wonder if the intention behind that is just, like, she's supposed to be a pretty young character. She's. She's been shunned by her people for her powers before. And I'm not sure if she's supposed to have a ton of control over them. And they do shoot it like it's supposed to be a very overwhelming situation, obviously. Um, But yeah, it's still a little bit like right on the tails of the scene where she has a lot of control. It's a little bit, uh, it's a little confusing. It's a little off-putting. I think that's why it was so off-putting is the juxtaposition of her being extra in the tavern with this clearly marked as the bad guy, clearly rolling around with some unmentionable dudes with loaded dice is able to sort of tweak things in her favor, but can't like summon a root to trip um, the guy who's taking Pim so that Pim can hide with her so they can experience this trauma together. Because at the beginning of the episode, she's accosted 
in the woods, and we'll probably get to this later in the series, I'm assuming it's the hidden starts to speak to her, save them, save them. And then she sees a deer, deer gets got, boy and her get into a fight. And then she just goes full power, the leaves appear in her face, and his bow is like going to choke him. And then later, she's clearly got some control in the tavern, making sevens come up to the immediate after she's in her village, burning to the ground, trying to find her mother, seeing her friends and her enemies and all these people getting literally set on fire on the cross, like crucified in flames. And it's just... uh, It's so frustrating. And then she finally finds her mom. And her mom's like, go. And she's like, I won't. It's like, just go. It's like, I won't. And I'm like, do something. Because the guy's coming in, he's like stabbing her mom. And she's like, no, mother. And I'm like, really in a way, like the one guy like called you a witch and you choked him out with his bow. And this guy, you can't do anything from stabbing your mom. Like, come on. Yeah. I wonder like, so even, okay, being the episode where she's, the, the early episode where she's being called out or like teased by the other people in her town and then there's the 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 thing with the dice um but those are both lower stakes than my village is being burned so i i can take that i i can take that hit and say like you know what it's a i think i feel like maybe the intention behind it is it's a little bit more overwhelming to like see your people slaughtered um than to be like i'm gonna mess with this guy i get it and i understand like we're supposed to be like I'm sure we're supposed to be frustrated, but it's just like, and then like with the wolves, the wolves come at the end of this episode, right? Yeah. Yeah. The wolves like start attacking her and she goes full like ninja mode on them. And and you're just like, no way, what is going on? Maybe that was a frustration of having lost her mother. And then she's like, you know what? I'm not taking this. So I get it. But you know, I... I'm just bitter because I wanted more Pim. <laughs> I mean, it's the juxtaposition of those moments that just makes it that much more difficult as the viewer. But it is, like you said, Carmela, like it is very much shot in a way that's like we're clearly seeing her being traumatized and overwhelmed. So it's like, I get that. But given that it's a stress response, like one would anticipate at least a little something or at least a little something more like it when she meets up with squirrel and before she tells him to run away like even if there was just like something tried to sprout and it was like couldn't fully like but i get it i get it she is being sort of traumatized this is a huge like i couldn't imagine my village burning to the ground like and i don't know if my mom is going to survive i don't have anyone else my homegirl just got taken away by some dude for god knows what's going to happen to her like it's a lot. I like to believe that if this was happening to me, I would have at least not him off the horse and be like, fine, you don't want to come? Chill out. I'm going to go. <laughs> be like, but go get help. Speaking of like frustrating powers, y'all want to discuss the what I thought was kind of a bit of a, a surprise guest of like Mer- Merlin. Well, not guest, but you know what I mean. Um, with Merlin. Yeah, let's talk Merlin. We haven't even mentioned him yet. Um, we meet Merlin in this episode. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> He, he's he's like a swaggery, kind of drunk uh, character. How do, we, how do we feel about, like, drunk young Merlin? 
So I don't dislike Drunk Young Merlin. I respect it. However, uh, I was watching the first episode with uh, my fiance and he's like, "Uh oh, somebody watched too much Johnny Depp. (laughs) I I couldn't unsee it. Um, So I think in this first episode, though his first scene or two are a little much for me. but I like I, I feel I feel like, uh, you know, by the second episode, I start to feel better about him uh, and I'm into it. I'm, I'm interested to see what happens with Merlin. Yeah, I like I like Merlin. I like this Merlin. Like, I think it's so interesting to see because you always see him as like this old man, super wise, wizard, which is dope. But to see him this way, I was just like, whoa, this is not what I expected at all and like this it's like a retelling not even a retelling it's just showing merlin before he became like grandpa status in a sense and you're just like this is so weird to see him like drunk and and, and like just showing off his magical chest like <laughs> like i don't know like it's all like not what you expect the wizard hat too like you kind of expect you know that kind of pointy thing he's got on like some i don't know how to explain i should actually do some research into that but i was like it just looks so different than what you expect. And I, I I thought it was super interesting. And I want to know more about his story. I think I'm the most interested in his story. Yeah, that that whole, that um hat was pretty dope. <laughs> they better sell that as merch. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> um, I think one of the interesting things, so I haven't seen full disclosure. I haven't seen um, the BBC Merlin but that has Arthur and Merlin as young men. Then my other experience with Merlin is the sword in the stone, like where he's very much the old wise sort of like stereotypical pointy hat, old man wizard. This is nice because it's right in the middle. He's not old, but he's not as young and hopeful as the young Merlin seems. He's very much sort of cynical. He's been through some stuff. And we're probably going to see him go through shit. a lot. <laughs> He's seen some shit. He's seen some shit. Um, and so I'm really interested to see how they sort of take this iteration of the character and weave it in, given that we're expecting, given our three in legend, certain things to happen. How much of that are they going to flip or shift or change um, given... Um, the changes that they've already made. Yeah, and I'm not sure that he's supposed to be young, young, or if he's just supposed to be like, this is how he looks, you know what I mean? Like, this is just his age. But they also allude to, in the first episode, they allude, he's working for the king, who we haven't mentioned yet. He's, he's, he's doesn't come up a ton, but uh, king, is it Uther? I think so. Yeah, I think it's King Uther, um, and he's kind of contract Uther Pendragon, Pendragon. Um, so he's with, he's in the King's court. Um, and they allude to Merlin potentially not having use of his magic. Um, so I'm interested to see what the deal with that is, um, as well. So yeah, he's definitely, he's, he was one of the kind of eye catching characters for me in the first episode. Um, and it's interesting to see that there seems to be a connection between him and the sword, because when Nimue pulls the sword out of the stone, you see it like kind of burned into his body, the image of the, of the sword. You yeah, know, like she's like, she's like, yeah, yeah, no, but 
did you look at the if you like yeah. pause it it's like and I, it took me like a second i was like is that a sword it's like his whole body like his whole the whole side of his body has this like burned image of a sword i'm like what's the connection so. Yeah, these pivotal, the pivotal kind of scenes of this episode are toward the end, which makes sense. Um, we see, Carlos mentioned it already, but Nimue's mom is, she's wounded. Um, she's in like their, one of their sacred places and um, someone comes in, she, she's dying basically and she's getting stabbed. She gives this sword, which is obviously at the center of the show and, and of the legend, but she gives the sword, the sword of power to Nimue and says take this to Merlin, nothing is more important right now. And so there's, Merlin comes up in that and it's juxtaposed with this scene of Merlin, uh, the, the, the kingdom was suffering a drought and Merlin makes, makes it, is supposed to have like made it rain using um, some kind of suspect techniques and it's raining blood and he gets struck by lightning and it appears to be like the outline of the sword that, that, that comes along his body, which is, it's a pretty wild scene. And it's one of the things that I was saying in the beginning, like, this is not, this is not a kid's show. There's some, there's some adult content in here. Like my man is naked on fire um, and then gets a, a <laughs> outline of a sword burnt into him. So it's, it's pretty serious. Um, and then we, we go from there into the scene of her taking out all these wolves pretty soon afterwards. Um, so these ending few minutes of the first episode um, really show that Nimue and Merlin's stories are interspersed and the sword is a big part of that. And it feels like, a, I mean, it feels like a great setup for, for what comes next. Mm-hmm. Because he's been tracing, Merlin has, he's been tracing the omens. So he's an alcoholic, clearly. He's supposed to be working for the king. The king wants rain because he's being blamed. The fae are being blamed and the king is being blamed, which goes into this religion versus magic thing the fae are the scapegoat because they're better farmers than the, I guess, the Christians and the other folks in the world that's being built. So they're the scapegoats. So they're seen as the bad guys using witchcraft to help their crops. So all this is happening in the background. Merlin's supposed to make it rain. And he's like, oh no, there's magpies. There's a baby born with three faces. Like he starts tracing these omens, which leads to that penultimate scene where before he's struck by lightning, he's looking at the book, something about a magic child and he's seeing visions and dreams at the same time that um, Nimue is seeing visions. And so all of these pieces are coming together with the sword bringing Nimue and Merlin together. Um, So it's going to be really interesting to see as someone who hasn't read the book, I don't know how they're going to take this story because all of this is so different already from the sort of traditional understanding of the Arthurian legend. Um, going to be real interesting to see what happens next. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so before we move on, um, which we haven't talked yet, just kind of a visual thing. We haven't talked about the scene animations. Um, so first of all, the opening credits, I think is pretty 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 beautiful with this kind of animation they have. But they also do one of the unusual things about the show that they introduce in the first episode is the transitions from one scene to the next are animated. What did you guys think about that? It's a little like high school PowerPoint project for me. I'm not a fan of them for some, I think it almost 
takes away some of the seriousness for some reason. I don't know. I'm not the biggest fan of it, but I'm also not like going to write a letter to, <laughs> to Kirst and be like, what were you thinking? Like, so. Yeah, I think the rationale seems to be that because it's based on this graphic novel illustrated by Frank Miller, who did 300 and like his Batman is sort of like one of the um, sort of standards of Batman comics. Um, I think they're trying to sort of bring some of that in the way in a lot of sort of Disney movies and these once upon a time stories, we sort of have these page turn animations. We have these opening and closings of books. I think that's what they were going for, but some of the scene transitions do take away some of the seriousness. Like we go from the King talking about the rain to whatever scene they transition to, but it's sort of, it pulls you out a little, but I do think that they are very beautiful and outside of being used so consistently, I think it might've been a better um, sort of use of the art of, I'm assuming Frank Miller um, and sort of can assist in the storytelling in a particular kind of way that might be better suited for certain parts rather than sort of more wholesale used throughout the episode. Very interesting. I, so yeah, I was pretty skeptical of them um, on first sight. I'm like, what are we doing now? <laughs> but uh, I think I might like it. I, I'm not sure yet. Um, and I do think if they used them less frequently, I might be. They might be more jarring. Um, so I think the frequency reminds me that. I mean, it it, it kind of helped me get used to it by the end of the episode. Um, so I'm not sure. It's a, it's, it's a maybe for me. Um, so do we have, were there any standout scenes, uh, that we haven't mentioned? Anything that like, we didn't really talk about that, that you guys. Okay. So how about anybody favorite moment, uh, and or least favorite moment? I mean, I kind of dug him's trip to the boatyard. So in the first episode, we see um, there's this sacred ceremony that's happening and a summoner needs to be chosen. And so they go to like the top of this mountain. Oh yeah, that was beautiful. (laughs) There's this lunar eclipse and this, um, the mom who's the high priestess, um, Nimue's her apprentice and daughter they go and do the ceremony. Everyone gives their offering. And so it's this beautiful scene of the sort of spirits being called lunar eclipse happens and Nimue is chosen as the summoner of the people, which the other elders are like, no, no, she's bad, which like, she's not for us. The hidden chose her. The mom's like, she's the chosen one now. And then she's like, nope, I don't want to do this. And Pim is like, you're chosen. That's awesome. You don't have to marry this dorky, stinky dude, like the fishmonger. And she's just like, nope, I'm leaving. She's like, well, I'm going with you. And like leaves town with her. Like, that's great friendship right there. Like, if I decide to skip out on my destiny, I hope my friends would see me off to the edge of the world so I can go somewhere that no one else goes. Um, So I really enjoyed that, just the characterization of who Pim is, given that the whole village pretty much hates her wholesale that there's a couple of characters like Pim who are there for her in this real friendship way. 
Justice for Pim. Justice for Pim. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, clearly my least favorite scene is when she just takes Pim into battle for no reason. <laughs> I'm watching the scene, I'm like, let her off the horse, let her off the horse. But, uh, she didn't plan. There was no planning. It was just like, oh my God, my mother, and goes in like, you no, have I'm no sorry, weapons. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Pim is literally there like, I don't want to go. Let me, like, like I'm really, stop no. taking me in. Like, yeah, like she's screaming in her ear like, do not do this. Let me off this horse. So no, forget that planning thing. If you got your best friend that's walking with you to the end of the earth, telling you in your ear like, hey, not trying to get killed. Let me off this horse. All you got to do is like, push her off. It's not, you know, she's a fish. She'll be fine. <laughs> so, and so we like Pim because she was funny and smart. <laughs> and yeah, she was like the voice of reason that Nimue was not, you know what I mean? Yeah. So. Omar, fa- do you have a favorite moment? <laughs> or just the least favorite moment? <laughs> um, to be honest, I think not a favorite moment per se that stood out, but I really just like this new characterization of Merlin. I'm super excited to see where we go with that. Um, but yeah, no, no favorite scene in this episode. Cool. I liked, as I said, I liked the why. Are you afraid of witches? That was pop. <laughs> That's true. That was that was that was dope. And uh, the ending sequence was it was uh, I don't know. I wouldn't say it was a favorite scene because it was a little gruesome for me, which I don't love. Uh, but I understand why I was there. But her like taking out the wolves, juxtaposed with the Merlin scenes, really showed to me where we're going um, mm-hmm. and, and what ties together in this story. Um, I think it didn't hit me as hard because there was also the trailer moment. So it's like, I knew that she was going to fight some wolves. I just didn't know how it fit into the story. But having the Merlin piece interspersed in there definitely upped the sort of struggle, not struggle, it upped the sort of darkness and grittiness that this is going to take. This isn't going to be a simple and they lived happily ever after. There's going to be some loss here. Yes. So... Uh, before we wrap up, favorite character from episode one. At the end of episode one, who's your favorite character? Omar. Justice for Pim. Sorry, you called uh, that Omar. I'm like, no, justice yeah. for Pim. I was like, I think I've been very clear who my favorite is. Um, Pim and now Merlin. Okay, Carlos? Merlin going forward, but I really, I hope Pim is alive and not hurt. Yeah, mine has to be Pim as well, so I guess we have a consensus. <laughs> um, so Pim and Merlin, Pim and Merlin out here, uh, front runners. We didn't talk about Squirrel, uh, but who's who's a dope little kid? Oh, Squirrel, we're going to talk about for episode two. We'll talk about Squirrel in episode two. Um, so we also we didn't mention the director of episode one and two is Zetna Fuentes, um, who's a woman of color, um, and we so maybe we'll start episode. We'll start uh, episode two just talking a little bit about uh, the direction of the show and maybe a little bit about Squirrel. Um, So that's it for today. And we will see you next week to talk about episode two of Cursed.